how much running were you doing? Were you running every day, every other day? Were you running 30 minutes, uh, 45 minutes, an hour? What, what, what did your running look like at that time? Well, in the beginning, obviously it was more, but I never, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't going crazy. Um, I don't think I probably ever ran more than five or six miles um, at a time, you know? And I think in the beginning I was running probably a few miles each day. But again, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted to still keep healthy, but I didn't want to overdo it. And, and as you know, running is just as much for your head as it is for your body. Um, so I really needed to do it. Uh, but I also incorporated, even in the beginning, incorporated a lot of walks. So I would do walking and running. Um, but I wasn't, I never raced. I didn't, I didn't push myself. Um, I just kind of, you know, took it easy with it and just enjoyed it. And Hey there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half, Walk Double podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in lovely Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, well, thank you, and also welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports. As an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete, told to the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Amanda Richmond is my guest this week. Is it a coincidence or something more that at 40-something years old, she set PRs in nearly every distance she races since the birth of her daughter, Riley, in July of 2021. That list, by the way, includes running a 254 marathon just nine months after giving birth via C-section. She appropriately credits part of that postpartum running success to her ability to continue to run through most of her pregnancy. She shares her approach to running now as a single mom as well as how she copes with running-related injuries. Here she is, Amanda Richmond. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to see you. You too. Good morning. Good, yeah, good morning to you too. Uh, how have you been? Good. I would, I would say that I probably look a little bit more tired this morning than most mornings because we had a rough night, but this is pretty much how I look every day with an 18 month old. So, <laughs> uh, I want to talk a lot more about that actually. Um, uh, but, but before we get into that, I need to just sort of to kind of, uh, lay the foundation for this conversation. I have to ask you a really important question, um, about a topic that I know you're an expert in and I'm eager to get your, your take on it. Um, so for you, uh, which is harder to raise, uh, a puppy or a baby? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's a side to each of those. You can't just put a baby in a crate. I mean, you probably could, but it's frowned upon. So <laughs> that's tough. But, um, uh, you know, I would say a, a dog is just hard. A puppy is hard, especially after having two dogs. Before I had the baby, I had two dogs. And they um, passed away when they were 13 and 17. And then wow. I went directly to a puppy. So it's just like a complete mind. Oh, my gosh. And a, and a baby at the same time. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, adult dogs, I mean, at some point, adult dogs, if, you know, if they get enough exercise, they sleep most of the time. Yeah. But, but boy, that, uh, that puppy stage, um, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't lay a puppy down, uh, you know, in a, uh, in a bed and just, uh, you know, and just uh, assume that everything is going to be okay. Puppies are uh, almost always hell bent on destroying everything in your house. And, yeah. uh, um, so while I, I certainly would agree that, uh, uh, that that each is a challenge, I would not especially disagree with you. A, especially a black lab puppy. And, you, you know, you take him, take him for an eight-mile run thinking, okay, he'll be good for the day. Nope. <laughs> Recharges about 20 minutes later. <laughs> that is so very true. Um, well, uh, for the listener who doesn't know uh, Amanda Richmond, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, I am a runner obviously. Um, I've been a runner for 20, 20 years. I wasn't athletic in high school or anything, but in my twenties, I got into running. Um, and I am a, a business owner. I work for myself, which is very handy with my, with a running schedule. Um, and I have, as we've mentioned, I have an 18 month old and a, a two and a half year old black lab. <laughs> That's a <clears throat> that's an excellent introduction, um, uh, because that uh, that hits on all of the areas that I uh, I want to touch on. Um, before we talk about uh, about your your athletic background, specifically about your running, um, uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit about how you and I uh, know each other. Um, <clears throat> as I as I looked at our mutual friends on social media, it, it we, we actually have a, we have quite a few friends uh, uh, mutual friends. Uh, on, on social media. And um, while I don't specifically remember the details of how you and I uh, came to know each other, uh, I'm almost certain it's because of the Seacoast area running community. Um, what, what What's your recollection of how uh, you and I came yeah, to know each other? I don't remember either how we really met. Um, but that's pretty much the case with with everybody. You know, you look at social media and you say, "How? who's this? How do I know this person? I mean, obviously I know you, but um, I think a lot of it is just connections through other people. And um, obviously the running community is a pretty tight knit community. Um, but I've known you for, I mean, before my even triathlon days. So I think you and I have um, known each other for, for quite a while. Yeah. I think, um, you know, that is the unique thing about the, about the running community. <clears throat> um, I mean, as I look at the uh, at my uh, uh, friends, my contacts on social media, um, while, while a lot of them I have met in person, there are a lot. There are any you know, there's a there's a fair number of folks who I not sure that I've actually met in person, but I know because I know other people. Um, and uh, um, you know, and again, I, I think that's the that's the wonderful thing about about these running communities. Um, well, let's, 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 let's talk about, um, let's talk about your running. So, um, you, you had mentioned that you, uh, started running for exercise, uh, in your, in your, in your twenties. Um, how did that come about? What was, what, what was the genesis of, uh, of, of I mean, that there are much easier ways to, to get exercise yeah. other than well, running. I, running is pretty hard. Why, why, why running? Why'd you start running? Honestly, I don't really know. Um, you know, like everything in my life, I get an idea and I just go with it. Um, <laughs> and I usually just go to the extreme with it. Um, so I think 
I can't even remember kind of the timeline of when I started. Um, but I know in my in my early 20s, I would just, you know, go out for short jogs and, um, you know, just kind of run for, for exercise. Um, I was maybe a few pounds heavier than I wanted to be. So I thought it was a good way to, to lose weight and all that. Um, and I think I pretty quickly, maybe within, even within the first few years, got a couple years, just went right to marathons and started <laughs> running marathons, um, which is exactly what I did with triathlons, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, but yeah, so I, I just got into it and I, I can remember building up for my first marathon uh, and really just loving it, loving the longer runs, just loving being out there. Um, and I think that that's one thing that you hear a lot of people say, you'll either hear people say, I absolutely hate running or I absolutely love running. I don't really think there's an in-between with running. Yeah, I think, um, that's, I think that's true. Um, yeah. So, so for me, it's just kind of my, you know, it's just my, my, like my peace, my, my sanctuary, I guess. Um, so I just, I, I really loved it. Um, and like I said, starting, I used to work at, uh, at Ocean Properties in Portsmouth. And I lived in Dover at the time. And I can remember running to work one day. I think it was only like 11 miles. Um, I say only like 11 miles, but it was, you know, it was 11 miles. And I can remember running across the General Sullivan Bridge and having a, being pulled over by a police officer. And he just got out of his car and he just said to me, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm running to work. <laughs> and he said, you can't run across this bridge. So he said, and he, he goes, get in and I'll bring you across the bridge. He goes, but I'm going to show you a different way. Cause I told him where I was coming from, where I was going. He said, unfortunately, I have to put you in the back of my car. So he, he put me in the back of his car and drove me and showed me Shattuck way, the way to get around and uh, dropped me off on the other side. And I waved, thank you. <laughs> But it was it was interesting. Um. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I I, I was going to ask you the question: um, when and when and why did you did you shift from uh, running uh, for exercise to running for sport? Um, uh, but maybe that's a difficult question for you to answer. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that they really. I think it was just a goal. Um, so I started, you know, I, I think I probably, I know I did some shorter races, 5Ks, 10Ks, but I think that it was just, you know, my personality is just go big or go home. So yeah. it was like, well, if I'm going to race, I might as well do a marathon. Yeah. And, um, um, and, and, at, and at that point, I mean, uh, in your 20s, <clears throat> were, you, were you connected to a running community? Did you have, did no. you have friends that, that ran? Did you, did, you, did you go on group runs? Did you just run by no, yourself? Not at all. It was all by myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So for years. You, yeah. So you, and then, and then you ran your first marathon in 2004. So, I, you know, again, you, you started running and then, yeah. and then in a, in a, in a fairly short time, it, you know, it, it, it really got serious. Like it, it, it accelerated, right. You, yeah. you went from uh, dabbling in, in five K's and 10 K's to just sort of uh, making the jump uh, up to marathon distance. So that's 2004. Um, well, and that's a funny story too. I was training for, I can't even, oh, I think, I can't remember which marathon I was training for, but it was, it was one at the end of October of that year. And I was doing the training, you know, stick, stick into a training plan I found online or something. Um, and I, you know, just doing those continuous long runs and being a rookie runner, I didn't know how to train. And I can remember going out for like a 
15 mile run one week and then a 16 mile run the next week. And, you know, after consistently doing that, all of a sudden it got to be the end of September. And I was like, I don't want to train anymore. I want to run a marathon. So I signed up for the um, New Hampshire marathon around Newfound Lake in Bristol, which holy hills. Um, and I ran it, you know, a month earlier than I was supposed to run a marathon after only my longest run, I think was 16 miles. Um, and my mom came to that marathon and I can remember afterwards looking at her and saying, I feel like I got run over by a truck. I am never doing that again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which is a, which is a fairly common feeling for, uh, for, for folks, um, uh, after a marathon, you know, it's that, that immediate feeling that, uh, you know, that was awful. I'm never going to do it again. You know, a couple days later, as you're telling the story, uh, uh, to, to friends and relatives, it's like, I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so, um, you obviously got over that feeling of, I'm never going to do this again. Oh, very quickly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then, and so then what, um, what, what inspired you to run your, uh, another marathon? I mean, what was Well, there- I think it was only like a day or two later. I was like, wow, that was cause it, you know, I ran a, um, and I'm, I'm not saying it, it was, it was slow for, for what I thought, you know, I ran, it was a close to a four hour marathon. And I, I was just like, I know I can do better than that. I know I can train better than that. So I signed, you know, I, I think, I don't remember if I signed up for another one right away. Um, I, th- oh, I know what happened. So that, next april a month before and i really hadn't even been running i'd just gone back to running a few miles here and there um and i had moved i had gotten married and moved down to north carolina my ex was in the military and somebody from up here uh lisa grella who works at ocean properties had gotten in touch with me and i think it was like march and said hey i have an extra bib through the mass eye and ear foundation for boston you want to run it and i was like sure so with a month to go, I started doing some runs. Um, and you can imagine how well that went. I think it was, you know, an even slower marathon. And I came out with a, uh, my ex-husband threw me on his back and had to carry me to go to a taxi to get to the airport because my knee and, oh, it was just a disaster. But um, these are all the things that you learn in the early days of running. Well, it's, uh, I mean, either... Um, either you learn from the experiences, uh, and they, and they help you to grow and move forward, or you become so discouraged, uh, that you, you give up the sport and you, and you get into, you get into something else. Um, in the, um, uh, in and around 2010, you, um, uh, decided to, to, uh, take a stab at triathlon, um, I mean, eventually you, you would end up doing five Ironman distance triathlons, but um, what was the inspiration to, to get into triathlon? Why, why that? And actually I had never even heard of triathlon before. I, I didn't even know what it was. And um, some people had started, I don't even remember where I was, but I just remember someone mentioned that there was a, a triathlon in South Berwick, the pumpkin man triathlon. And some people had mentioned it and I was like, Oh, I've never even heard of triathlon before. Um, And at that point, I also had started to have an Achilles issue, which has become a chronic Achilles issue that I still deal with today. Um, But they and someone suggested to me, oh, maybe you should, you know, cross train a bit and do some biking and swimming and and maybe it could take a little pressure off your Achilles. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So um, I started I had an old bike. Um, I mean, it was a really old bike. Uh, And I started riding that and I had never swam before. So I was, you know, in my late twenties taking swim lessons. Um, 
which I was horror never got good at. And so I started doing some, a couple short triathlons. And I think I did my first sprint distance and said, you know what, I'm going to do an Ironman. <laughs> so <laughs> instead of uh, taking it a little bit easier on my Achilles, not only was I training for a marathon, but I was also training for a 112 mile bike and a two point whatever mile swim. Um, so I jumped right into that too. And within my first year had done, I think Ironman Lake Placid was the first one that I, oh no, I'm sorry. Ironman Coeur d'Alene was the first one that I did. Um, uh, uh, is that Idaho or Wyoming? Yeah, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Yeah. yeah, Idaho. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of, I'm seeing a theme emerge here, right? right? Um, hey, that looks fun. I think I'll do that. What's the most epic thing that I can do in that sport? Okay. Let yeah. me, let, let me, let me do that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, um, uh, you know, it's not terribly difficult to, um, to, to physically prepare yourself for a, a sprint distance triathlon or even an Olympic distance triathlon. But boy, when you begin to get into the half Ironman distance and, and full Ironman distance triathlon, um, it, it can get not only somewhat complicated in terms of, in terms of putting together uh, a complete uh, training plan, but it's also a really, really big time commitment. Um, you know, back then, Huge. What sort of resources were you drawn upon in order to in order to sort of craft together an Ironman distance uh, training? Well, Again, so I actually you, you I actually used, used a coach, um, and I think I can't remember exactly how I found him. Um, here, my my alarm's going off. The dog's going to start barking over here. Buddy, stop. Um, I I used a coach that I think I had just met, as we mentioned through social media. You just you know become friends with all these people. Um, and I used a coach that I was recommended, and he was out in Oregon, out in um, Clackamas, Oregon, near Portland. Um, so I just did, you know, it was an online training plan, which most everything is these days. Um, so he, he trained me for that first Ironman. And actually, I ended up going to a training camp out in Tucson, um, which was great. And that started a, um, a few years of me going out and traveling out to Tucson in the winters, which was another amazing thing. Yeah, um, yeah, but he, uh, yeah. So he, um, he prepared me for that first Ironman. And like you said, it's just a huge time, time commitment. And I mean, at that, you know, at that point I was single and, and no kids and all that. So, um, all I was doing was swimming, biking and running. Um, but you know, during the winter here, you spend six hours on a weekend on a trainer in the basement and then the next day get back on it for five. And that, I mean, it's just insane. Um, so for, and, and I, like you said, I did five of them. So for four, three or four years, that's all I was doing was mm. swim, bike, run, um, you know, 29, 30 hours a week. And it just, it, it's just, that's all you do. Yeah. Um, so you get, um, you get burnt out on that. Uh, well, I think, I, I certainly think that, that, that it is possible for that to happen. Um, you know, if, if, if you're not providing yourself with a sufficient amount of, uh, of non-training time, uh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's not, it's not unusual for Ironman distance triathletes to put in, you know, 16, 18, 20 hour activity weeks, um, you know, during the, during the, uh, the peak part of their, of their training camp. Um, so you, you had some interesting experiences in uh, Ironman distance triathlon. You, I mean, by your own admission, you were a, you were a fairly novice swimmer, but you know, you were, you, you, you were a, you know, you, you had sort of 
you had developed into a uh, in, into a pretty decent runner. Um, <laughs> I, I think you would you know you'd sort of would tell the story of uh, you know being almost dead last, getting out of the water, right? G getting on the bike and sort of slowly working your way up through yeah. the field, you know, passing all of the, passing all of the swimmers that you, you clearly were fitter than, and then you'd get on the run and, and, and pick up even, even more places. Uh, I mean, do, do, do you have a, do you have a, a race experience where that, where that sort of played out? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I, it was Ironman Lake Placid. I don't remember which year because I did it a couple of times. I think it might've been 12, 2012, um, but I got out of the water and I, I'm a horrible swimmer. Um, I got out of the water and I think like 2000 something place. And then I ended up finishing in 200 something place. So I mean, I passed over 2000 people between the bike and the run, um, mostly probably on the run, but you know, I'd rather, honestly, I'd rather be a good runner than a, than a good swimmer because it just, it, it works out that way in a long distance race like that. Um, yeah. Well, there's yeah. also something uplifting about uh, passing people as the race progresses, right? It always feels better to be passing people than to be getting passed later in the yeah. race. There's there's some sort of emotional boost to that. Um, yeah. So yeah, after after dabbling in uh, in well, I say dabbling, I mean obviously you were you know you were you were committed to the to the training and and uh, and and completed five. Uh, uh, Ironman distance triathlons, but um, your 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 focus shifted back to running in in 2015. What 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 made you realize in 2015 that running was still a passion for you? I mean, I, the whole time I was doing Ironman, so it was always running that I that I loved. Um, and then I I just kind of got to the point after I did the last one that I was like, you know what, this is I, I really am not enjoying myself. You know, I'm making myself go to them, like forcing myself to go to the pool. Um, and, and I was getting swim lessons and whether I swam once a week or every day, I wasn't getting any better. And it just, it frustrated me. And I'm the kind of person that likes to see progress and likes to be good at things. Um, so I was just getting frustrated and hating it. And I, I just wasn't enjoying it at all. Uh, the way that I used to love running. Um, so I just, I decided to get back to running and then actually I, so in 2015, I started just running again. Um, and I ended, I started having, I flew down to North Carolina for this, for a trail race. And I started having this really, um, I remember before it, I started having some vertigo issues. And so I was doing this trail race and I started having this really weird vertigo and it was supposed to be, uh, it was a, a 50 K and I only got through the first lap and, um, I was just so dizzy. I couldn't even finish. So I got my ear checked out and I ended up having to have inner ear surgery. I had, uh, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's when you're um, the little, I, I can't remember the words right now, I'm drawing a blank, but the little piece in your ear that usually vibrates had, had calcified. And so I had to, have, they had to remove my, pull my eardrum out, replace that, whatever. But that obviously forced me to take a couple months off. And when I came back from that, all of a sudden I was faster. Now, imagine the concept of actually taking some time off when you're going from completely burnt out and just pushing yourself through to feeling regenerated and, and rested. And so all of a sudden I came back and I was faster and that year, you know, and then I, I was like, well, I'm going to just train for another marathon. And you know, the speeds that I'm seeing myself run were just like, this is, this is crazy. Um, and I think up to that point, you know, I'd done a bunch of marathons. I think to that point, my fastest was only uh, maybe like 320 something, 328. Um, 
And then all of a sudden I was training for the Hartford marathon and I ended up running a 304 that year. And I was like, wow, I don't, I don't know what happened, but somehow I just got fast. Um, so I think that that period of um, just taking a break and letting myself both mentally and physically recharge really helped. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's a really good point because I, it's, you know, it's as you, as you know, and, and can fully appreciate um, it's difficult for runners not to be running. Right. I mean, the, the idea is that um, when I'm running um, I'm improving when I'm not running, I'm regressing. Uh, but truth is um, that there, that there are, uh, there are times in which it's important to, um, to, to take rest or recovery, whether that, whether that rest and recovery is absolute recovery, in other words, no running at all, or whether it's relative recovery, um, uh, you know, reducing running volume, maybe adding some other activities. Um, it, it, it's not terribly surprising to me, although, you know, clearly you had a really significant performance breakthrough. I mean, taking 20 minutes off of your marathon PR, I mean, that's, there's, there's no small feat there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned you ran a 304 uh, at the Hartford Marathon in October of 2015. And then you actually went on and, and, and set uh, another PR at the Boston Marathon in 2016, April of 2016, yeah. where you ran a, a 259. Um, and, you know, that's actually really remarkable for me. Um, now, while I, while I don't have any, any firsthand personal experience with the Boston Marathon, I've had the good fortune to coach many, many athletes who have run the Boston Marathon. In my in my estimation, the Boston Marathon is not a PR marathon because there's just, you know, all the rigmarole about, you know, getting to Athlete Village and, and standing around and waiting your corral. And then, you know, eventually you get started. And and, you know, there's there's, there's so many people and, and almost always uh, in April here uh, in New England, um, you get weather that's I mean, you. You, you could get a 70 degree day and nobody's acclimated to the heat and everybody is wilting. Uh, or you can get a, you know, a, a 50 degree day with sideways raining and, and everyone is suffering from hypothermia. Um, so it's a really, really difficult race to PR. I mean, I, I typically will coach athletes uh, who run the, the, the Boston Marathon to just go and, and enjoy the experience. Don't put any performance expectations on yourself. Going into Boston that year, uh, Amanda, that uh, April of 2016, after coming off, uh, I mean, a, just a breakthrough performance at Hartford, did you have performance-based expectations for Boston? And if so, what what were they? I did. And you actually just touched on something. Um, I, I wanted to break three hours, and that was my goal for that year. Um and as I previously mentioned, I had gone to that training camp in Tucson, and then I started kind of spending some time there in the winters. Um, and actually, like we've talked about with me, you know, go go big on everything. I ended up buying a house out in Tucson, <laughs> which I've now sold, but I had that. Um, so that year, 2015, I had spent a couple months out in Tucson. So I was when that April 2016 Boston Marathon day hit and it was 75 degrees and everybody was blowing up. I was acclimated. Um, so I actually, and, and, you know, my running community friends will still say, they, they still say that I just run, you know, my marathons are very, um, I don't, I've learned, I've, I've run so many marathons now that I've learned. I don't go out too fast. I'm very, um, you know, if I'm, if I say I'm going to run at 630 pace, I'm at 630 pace every mile, not, you know, not the, the first few miles or 615, like I am 630 
and I dead on. Um, so that year, that was, I think the first marathon after running, I don't know how many before that, it was the first marathon that I had really, really, I feel like really dialed in and run exactly the way that I wanted to, you know, and, and a lot of people, um, as I'm sure you tell people that the Boston marathon course is so downhill in the first half that by the time you get to heartbreak Hill, you know, it's really not that big of a hill. Uh, but by the time you get there, everybody's just trashed their quads and it's, it's so hard. Um, but if, you know, the most important thing is in the beginning, those first couple of miles that are all downhill, you know, you don't, you don't just let the wheels off and fly down the hill. You hold back and you do your, if you want to run a 630 pace, you run a 630 pace. Um, so anyway, I think that that, that really helped me out just really dialing in, um, running my race. I also was really uh, enjoying myself. I remember I stayed at the Park Plaza Hotel or whatever it's called um, that that night and I got on a bus to Athletes Village and I had a few friends on there and we just, you know, it was fun. We had a really good time. So like we, it wasn't stressful. I mean, it, obviously every race is stressful to a point, but um, we had a really good time. We were joking and laughing. And so being with a group of people kind of took the pressure off um, and also, you know, I, I do not like cold. So for me, that day was great because it wasn't, it wasn't, I get so cold that I can't even, you know, even if it's 60 degrees, I have gloves on my hands because I just get too cold. So that morning was perfect for me. Um, and I think that that a combination of all those things just really helped me. Mm. Um, so you, so you had, you had trained, uh, in the Tucson area that winter. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. Um, and, and generally speaking, what are, what are Tucson winters like from a, uh, from a, in, in, you know, from a, uh, a weather um, standpoint? I, mean, I, I can't remember exactly. It's been a few years, but like temperatures, but, um, it was not, I mean, I remember riding my bike out to on some of the passes and there was snow, but that's just because they're up so high, you know, there was snow on Mount Lemon, but actually when you're actually just down in the area, I mean, 60, 70 degree days. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, definitely, uh, you get used to running in the heat. I mean, probably even warmer than that, maybe eighties, um, by February or March. And I think I was out there, I know I was out there for January and most of February that year. Mm. Um, and yeah. I, you know, doing all my speed sessions out there and everything and everything. So it all really helped. Well, I think, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like that was one of those circumstances in which, um, you know, obviously you had, you had put the training in, you were, you were clearly, uh, acclimated, to, uh, to the, to those environmental conditions, you know, 70 degree days in Boston. Um, but, but you also really kind of, you, <laughs> you also kind of got lucky a little bit and that it wasn't 50 degrees and, and raining sideways. Uh, not, yeah. not, not that, not that it, not that you might not have performed the same way, but, um, uh, but, but, but don't you think when it comes to marathon racing that, um, that setting PRs, um, you know, that obviously you got to put the, you got to put the work in. Um, but don't you feel like the stars have to kind of, uh, align it's for a you lot a little bit? outside of your control? Yeah. Mm, yeah. But you can, you know, you can only control what you, what's in your realm to control. You know, you kind of have to just let everything else go and, uh, pray for good weather and, uh, you know, and just hope that everything aligns. I mean, you, you never know, like you can, it, you can go out for a run on a training day and just be, feel terrible, you know? So who's to say that on that day of the marathon, you're not going to feel terrible that, you know, it's, it's just, 
it, it is. It's kind of, I mean, it's a lot of training and a lot of being prepared, but there's also a little bit of luck involved for all yeah. the um, yeah. circumstances. Yeah. For sure. And that's, and that's not, that's not to discount uh, the preparation, but I, uh, but I, I, I do think it's always multifactorial. Um, so uh, breaking three hours uh, there at the Boston Marathon, um, walking away from that performance, were you, were you satisfied at that point? Did you feel like oh, yeah, you had finally yeah. arrived? I was, I do, yeah. I remember taking that last left. And just, and looking down at my watch and being like, I'm get I can break three hours and just hauling, you know, to the finish. And, and also, you know, compared to like the first marathons that I used to run where I just wasn't prepared. I mean, this marathon, I felt great. Like afterwards I could have kept going. Um, because the more you prepare, obviously the better you feel and you get the longer runs in the better you feel. Um, so, I mean, I just, I felt so good. And yeah, I was obviously tears at the finish line and all that. And, uh, I was, I was very satisfied with that, but of course it, you know, gave me a taste of that sub three hours. So it made me want more. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so let, let, let's talk about the period from 2016 to, to 2022 from a running and racing standpoint. My question, um, is, um, it, it, it's not unusual. In fact, it's, it's probably, uh, uh probably fairly common that, um, you know, when, when, once you're once you demonstrate some success or any success uh, at the marathon distance, um, you know, there's always that uh, there's always that urge to wonder, uh, you know, what 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 might it be like beyond the marathon distance? I mean, you mentioned that you um, that you had uh, uh, th th that you that you you had entered and 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 were racing a, uh, an ultra in North Carolina before you had the vertigo issues, but um, you know after after that demonstrated success at Boston, um, you know during 2016 to 2022, did you begin to set your sights on distances beyond the marathon? So years I can't remember what year, but years ago I ran the JFK 50 in Maryland, um, the 50 miler, and. Um, I like, I mean, I love trail running. I do, I do really enjoy that. I've done a, I did a, uh, 50 miler in, um, that one in, in Maine, Pylon Farms. Um, I ran a 50 K and, um, and I, and I did really well in all of them, but it's just not, you know, road racing and, and marathon racing and being fast is kind of my, um, I don't know. It's just, it's what I really enjoy. So mm. I, I really love trail running, but more just for the training purposes yeah. than racing. Yeah. Um, as, as a way to kind of change it up a little bit, get off some of those harder surfaces onto, yeah, onto some softer surfaces. Um, well, I also think too, that, um, that, that, that part of the desire to move to the ultra distance, um, not for, not for, for every runner, but, but for, but for some runners is that, uh, I mean, at some point, you know, father time kind of comes knocking on everyone's door. Right. And, and, uh, you know, as we, as we, as we move through our thirties and into our forties, um, all of a sudden, you know, we realize maybe, maybe we can't rekindle those glory days. Maybe, maybe we're not going to be running sub three hour marathons anymore. And I don't just want to run marathons just to run them. I mean, if I can't, I can't race them hard and I can't, you know, and, and I can't approach, um, previous PRs and I'm going to move on to the ultra distance, you know, that way I'm, I don't have to be concerned with, you know, I'm, I'm running 11 minute miles or 12 minute yeah. miles, although I'm running 50 of, you know, 50 of those miles. Um, but that wasn't the case for you, right. That, that you're, um, in fact, as we'll talk about here in a moment, um, 
you, you would end up having another breakthrough in performance in your 40s. But let's so let's 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 get to that. Um, in um, so you decided to start a family in uh, late 2020, I think, if my if my math is correct. Yeah. Uh, and you yeah. were 42 at that time. Yeah, I think I was 42 when I started to I, I, I always wanted a baby um, and it just never the stars never aligned for me with that. Um, I had been married and divorced and it just, you know, I was single for and it just never really worked out. Um, but by, when I, I remember turning 40 and just you know, thinking this is, I, I don't know. I just was something huge was missing from my life. Um, I was just really not, I wasn't, you know, in a, in a depression, but it was just depressing that I was never going to have a baby and just really, um, felt the, the, the need to, to do that. Um, so I started, I think when I was 41, kind of looking into it, um, and obviously, you know, when you, when you get older, especially after 40, it's your chances go way down. Um, to be able to have a baby just from, you know, a body's span standpoint. Um, so I actually started looking into IVF and met with um, fertility doctors and all that. And, you know, their biggest concern was my, the doctor that I met with, who was absolutely wonderful. Um, and he's the best in the industry, Joseph Hill. He, his biggest concern was, you know, you, you're, he's like, you're a runner. You have no, I don't, I don't know if this, I mean, he was, he's, no sugar coating on it. You know, he's like, I don't know if this is going to work for you. He's like, you need to gain 10 pounds. <laughs> and, and that was, he said, before you come back to see me gain 10 pounds. Um, well, I went back to see him and I'd actually lost a couple more. pounds. So, you know, I was like 104 pounds and the guy's saying to me this isn't going to work for you. Um, but I ended up obviously going through the, the process, which was tough. Um, in my, when, I think once you hit 35, doctors start looking at you as, uh, that, you know, you hear a lot of the advanced maternal age and all those things thrown around. Um, but then when they look at somebody who is a runner and in shape and, and all this, you would think they would say, to, you know, look at you and say, oh, this is a really healthy person. It's going to go really well for her, but they don't, it's kind of opposite. You know, they look at you like, um, it's not going to work. And it's it just, so that made it a little bit discouraging too. Um, but, uh, but but in a sense, did that uh, did that also create more resolve for you? Uh, like you know, they they're not quite sure about this, so I'm going to show them that. that well, this I just is knew, I just knew that that's what I wanted to do, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna if I don't try this, I, I'm gonna regret it for the rest of my life. So um, it's a you know it's a long and arduous process, and um, I my my goal was just to just to do it and give it my best, you know, try to, to be as healthy as I could and, um, do everything right and go through the process. And, um, it ended up, you know, they, they suggested to me not running and not doing this and not doing that. Um, but I didn't, I, I don't know. I kind of just felt like, no, I'm going to keep my body healthy. So I actually, once I was able to get pregnant, um, I actually ran up until I think like 32 weeks. I mean, obviously not, you know, Boston marathon, but, I was still, still running. I didn't do any racing because I was just trying, you know, they I was trying to be very cautious. I still needed to run, but I was also trying to be very cautious. And I ended up at 32 weeks out on a trail on my property actually and tripped and fell. And so because of my advanced maternal age, I ended up, you know, in the hospitals for, I think like five hours of monitoring and all this and everything was fine. Um, but after that, I, 
I think it was after like 32 weeks that I just went to walking, but I was out there every day, you know, I was probably walking 40 miles a week. Um, so I just, I, I made sure to stay active and stay healthy all through the pregnancy, which I think really, really helped me out. Um, and also helped me be able to return to running faster as yeah. well. Um, so as an exercise physiologist, you know, this is, um, uh, exercise during pregnancy is, 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 is one of my, uh, uh, is, is one of the areas that, that, that clinical exercise physiologists in particular, um, uh, deal with. So, um, the American college of obstetricians and gynecologists consider exercise during pregnancy to be safe, right. Uh, in, in women who are, who are otherwise healthy. Uh, of course there are risks and, uh, potential complications as you, as you pointed out for women in their forties, including things like preeclampsia, placenta previa, uh, and, or pregnancy induced high blood pressure, uh, um, did you experience any of those issues during your pregnancy? I had absolutely no issues. Um, not at all. And I think that keeping my body healthy with running, but also, uh, the way that I eat, um, and just, you know, I really, really think that that helped. I only gained, I mean, you wouldn't have even known I was pregnant up until probably like 34 weeks. I only gained like 26 pounds the whole time. Um, and after, I think seven days after I had the baby, I was back down to my normal weight. So I, I really think that, um, you know, and every, everybody does what they have to do and everybody, you know, being pregnant is hard. So if somebody, you know, if someone's pregnant and they need to eat a pint of ice cream, then that's what they need to do. And I'm not saying anything bad about it, but I felt for me, like, you know, I'm not going to use the excuse that I'm pregnant to indulge myself in all these other things. And honestly, I really didn't eat any differently than I normally do. I, I had to eat more obviously because you're eating for two people. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't use it as an excuse to go crazy. Um, so I just, I really made sure to keep my, I mean, I obviously gone through a lot to get pregnant. I wanted to make sure I did everything right. Um, and so I did. Yeah. Um, at any point where, uh, did your doctors ever give you feedback, um, uh, regarding the amount of weight that you weren't gaining? Uh, did they ever, or did they ever encourage you that, uh, to start gaining a little bit more or, or, or were they happy, um, yeah. with your, with your progression in terms of your weight? Yeah, they, I mean, everything was fine. The baby was very healthy, um, and everything was fine. So there was no, I think based upon my small frame and my, um, you know, my, my initial weight and everything. And, and they knew that, you know, I, I aligned myself with doctors that were, that kind of had that, you know, some doctors are just all like completely against, you know, you can't run when you're pregnant, but I mean, these people understood a runner and what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that just because I was healthy, the baby was healthy. They were, I think they were okay with it. Yeah. And, um, uh, tell us about, uh, how much running were you doing? Were you running every day, every other day? Were you running 30 minutes, uh, 45 minutes, an hour? What, what, what did your running look like at that time? Well, in the beginning, obviously it was more, but I never, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't going crazy. Um, I don't think I probably ever ran more than five or six miles, um, at a time, you know? And I think in the beginning I was running probably a few miles each day. But again, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted to still keep healthy, but I didn't want to overdo it. And, and as you know, running is just as much for your head as it is for your body. Um, so I really needed to do it. Uh, but I also incorporated, even in the beginning, incorporated a lot of walks. So I would do walking and running. Um, but I wasn't, I never raced. I didn't, I didn't push myself. Um, I just kind of, you know, took it easy with it and just enjoyed it and, and did what I could. Did you, um, 
were there any specific challenges um, uh, uh, regarding uh, pregnancy and running that the combination of those two? Um, I, I mean, I think the biggest challenge was just not being able to do what I wanted. You know, I mean, it was I was so used to being able to go out and, and run and race and, and all that and, you know, getting being faster and everything I really wanted to. But I just knew that it probably wasn't the right thing for me to do. Um, so I, I think that was the, the, my head was just the biggest challenge. Hmm. Um, you know, interestingly enough, uh, doing a little research for this show, um, I didn't realize, um, uh, but found out that, <coughs> excuse me, that, um, that some GPS enabled devices like Garmin, uh, Garmin actually has a pregnancy tracker. Uh, there's a oh, sort of, yeah, there's a, there's an app built into the, the GPS enabled device. Um, that allows a, a woman to uh, keep track of, of any number of uh, you know, dozen or more data points throughout throughout their pregnancy. Um, uh, do you train with a GPS enabled device like a Garmin or a Sunto or a Koros? And, and if yeah, so, yeah, I use a Garmin, but I never yeah. knew that. I never used yeah. anything like that. Yeah, um, uh, and of course, you know, nowadays there's an app for for everything um yeah. and there are there are uh pregnancy tracker apps you know for for mobile devices did, did you use did you use anything did you use an app to uh to track the progress of your pregnancy um i, I used uh an app i can't remember what it was called but just to you know it's just that app that shows you you know how big the baby all that kind of stuff like you know your baby's the size of a of an elmo or whatever each day you know um just something like that or telling me like what is going to happen that week or um you know symptoms you might be feeling um i was also i don't think i mentioned i was also nauseous every day until 20 weeks so that was just that was terrible and that was i, I forgot that was a challenge because um even you know nothing even going out for a run or anything didn't didn't make me feel better so that was tough mm. um but I felt nauseous whether I ran or not, so I figured I might as well run. <laughs> <laughs> so your your daughter Riley uh, was yes. born in July of 2021 yep. uh, via a cesarean section. Yes. Um, when did you return to running? Uh, how much time did you take off? So I actually, I was cleared to run. I, I, I mean, I started going for walks. Um, I... I was told to take it very easy for, um, you know, however, however, up until like six weeks. Um, unfortunately, I was I was at that at that point uh, taking care of a baby alone, and so I really couldn't, you know, not do stairs, not pick her up, not do that. So I really just had to do everything and try to heal up, you know, being gutted, uh, <laughs> major abdominal surgery at the same time. So. Um, but, but, you know, now I, I think, or in the end, I think that, um, that actually helped me heal faster, just being, you know, not, not overdoing it, but, um, being active and not just sitting around, I think moving around really helped me. Um, I can remember being in the hospital after uh, only on the second day and, and just wanting to go walk around the hall just to get out of the bed. So, um, and they couldn't believe how fast I, re I was recovering from the C-section and I attribute that to you know, staying healthy during my pregnancy. Um, I think I got cleared. I was walking maybe a week later. I was, I was starting to take little walks and then increase the distance with, you know, my doctor cleared it. Um, and then six weeks I was cleared to start running easy, you know, not go out and, and do a 20 mile run, but just gently get into it. 
Um, so after six weeks, I started um, running a little bit. And then of course, as I do everything else, escalated quickly and got right back into it. Why was it, uh, uh, why, why was it important to you to, uh, to get back to running? Um, I, you know, for my head and especially, you know, you have a newborn and it's just, I mean, as you know, with kids, it's just, it's crazy. You know, you just, you're like a walking zombie for three or four months. And for me, I just really, really needed it for my head. Um, I also like to stay in shape. So I wanted to get back to it and I knew eventually I wanted to get back into racing. Um, so I wanted to just get back into it and not take too much more time off. Um, I also, you know, I hadn't run for quite a while, so I really wanted to start running as soon as I could. Um, uh, but it really helped me. It helped me through those first, the first few months when I was just absolutely exhausted and, um, you know, emotional and, and all that. And I would go for a run and feel so much better, even if I was exhausted. So that it really, really helped. Did your, um, did your running specific goals, uh, change after becoming a mom? Um, I don't think so because I, I wanted to get right back into doing marathons. So, um, I, I signed up for, you know, I, I set a goal to run a marathon or spring marathon right away. And I just, you know, my goal was really just to get, to continue being fast and maybe get faster if I could. Um, so you, and, and, and you breastfed your, your daughter, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a popular belief that, uh, that exercise can affect the taste of, of breast milk because of a buildup of, of exercise related lactic acid. Um, uh, although interestingly enough, I, um, I actually have a friend, Dr. Dr. Tim Quinn, uh, retired professor from the university of New Hampshire. Uh, but while he was at the university of New Hampshire, he actually co-authored a study, uh, back in the nineties on breast milk composition, uh, and different exercise intensities. And what, what they found was that moderate intensity exercise did not increase lactic acid content of breast milk. And so therefore, theoretically, it would, you know, it would, uh, it would not deter or detract uh, an infant from, from feeding and, and therefore uh, developing. Um, was, um, was, was, was exercise running, breastfeeding, uh, was that ever an active concern of yours? You know, it, it wasn't, and I have read, I have, I, I Google everything. So I, you know, every, I, I'm a over Googler. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I had read the same thing that lactic acid. So, you know, sometimes, I mean, I, I breastfed until she was 16 months old. So I had to, you know, in the beginning, you're, you're doing it every couple hours um, and every three hours, every four hours. So when I was getting into my longer runs, once I started training again, you know, some, I would have to schedule it around that. I'd be like, okay, I have to pump it. Cause she, you know, she got into daycare. So I was starting to pump and breastfeed, you know, I have to pump it this time so I can, then I can go out and run two hours and then I have to get back here and do it again. Um, and you know, I never, I never got rid of the milk or anything. I mean, that stuff is like gold when, when, when you have it. So I never got rid of it and she, she never turned away from it. Um, so I don't think that it, it ever really changed the taste for her or she, or she didn't mind if it did. Um, but I did read that, you know, there was no, there was nothing bad about it other than it would might change the taste. Like it wasn't going to do anything bad to her and it was still just as good afterwards. So I, I never got rid of it. Um, but one thing that it did do is definitely decrease your, decrease the supply. So if I would go out for a three hour run and then try to pump, you know, when I, if I might 
or you know, usually get eight ounces, might only get two ounces or something, but then it comes back. So that was the one thing that it did, that it did do. Um, were, were there any specific, uh, running related challenges, uh, uh, around, around breastfeeding? Um, I really just scheduling, you know, and then running. So I ran that marathon when she was nine months old and I had to, it was in Derry and I had to sit in the parking lot in the car and pump right before the start and then get to the start, run the marathon and go right back to the car and do it again. And, you know, so that's, that is challenging. Um, I've read about, I read an article about some long distance runner that had a manual hand pump and was actually doing it while she was running some ultra. And I was like, that's, that's just insane. That's next um, level. But I guess you do what you have to, right? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely yeah. true. Um, yeah. yeah. So then, uh, so that nine months after having your daughter uh, as a single mom, you set a PR in the marathon, an, a new PR um, uh, of, of 254. Yeah. Later in, in 2022, you set a PR in the half marathon of 120. Um, why do you think that, that, that those two PRs were possible? Um, you know, here you are now in your, in your early forties, um, uh, in, you know, just coming off of, of, of having a baby. Um, how did that happen? You know, I don't, Honestly, I'm not sure. I think it might be a lot of components. I think that, uh, again, like with the 2015, taking that time off, giving my body kind of a break, um, rejuvenating, recharging, and also really, you know, being excited to get back into it after a break. I think that that all helped. Um, I also haven't had a drop of alcohol since October of 2020. Um, because I was pregnant and then breastfeeding and and then after, you know, it's been a couple months, but it just really hasn't, uh, I, I feel really good. Um, I don't, I sleep well. Well, I mean, my sleep, I should, I, let me back up a little bit. My sleep is so precious to me. Um, and sometimes even if I just have a glass of wine, I won't sleep well that night. So if any sleep that I can get right now <laughs> is so precious that I'm like, is having a glass of wine worth it? Nah, I'll do that someday. Um, so anyway, I haven't, I haven't had a drop of alcohol since October, 2020. I think that that's really helped my performance. Um, I, and I don't know, I guess just training, training well, um, maybe, you know, being, and you say early forties, but I'm 45, so that's generous. Um, I think that it all, it all kind of helps even just being experienced, you know, and knowing, having been through so much running, so many marathons, knowing what works, knowing what doesn't work, um, and knowing my body, you know, knowing now I told you now I'm dealing with this Achilles issue again, so I haven't run in eight weeks now, which, which is a bummer, but I also in my head know, okay, it's going to get fixed one day and I'll be able to run. Um, and maybe I'll be even faster after this. Mm. So it's just, you know, it's, it's just a, I think a combination of all those things. Well, well there, is, I mean, there is, there is one thing that we know about, um, uh, cardiovascular changes during pregnancy, you know, the, um, um, uh, the body, particularly the cardiovascular system, and more specifically the heart, um, does undergo some some physiologic remodeling during pregnancy. Um, in, in other words, the 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 the, the size uh, of the heart chambers increases, right? And so, um, you know, from a from a pump standpoint, um, your 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 heart actually becomes. Uh, uh, it becomes more efficient, allowing you to deliver more more oxygen to the supplied muscles. Now that's that's an important adaptation during pregnancy, um, but 
but those adaptations don't immediately reverse back to pre-pregnancy levels um, immediately after, after after birth of the child. That um, that those those cardiodynamics um, persist and last into the postpartum period. I mean, I think it's entirely plausible that um, that the combination of sort of the natural physiologic adaptations to the heart during pregnancy, combined with your um, combined with your um, with your with your running habit and running behavior during pregnancy, it's entirely possible that that part of the bounce in performance in the postpartum period um, was at least in part related to some of these structural changes to the heart. Now, it, again, at some point, Amanda, right, your um, the uh, you know the physical changes to your heart will eventually sort of um, they will uh, revert back to pre-pregnancy levels doesn't necessarily mean that your 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 better running days are are behind you but i think it, it's at least in part um uh, a plausible explanation uh for some of that that bounce in in performance um i mean either way uh what what a remarkable feat in my opinion to be able to do what you did um so soon you know after uh af after having your daughter um how have you changed or grown as a runner uh, now that you're a mom? Changed? I mean, I think that it's uh, the, the only real thing that's changed for me is that I have to kind of adapt my life. Or before I used to adapt my life to running, you know, I would kind of schedule, I would tell clients, oh, I'm in a meeting and I'd really be out for a two hour run or whatever. Now it's like, I can't, you know, I can't just get up in the morning and go for a run. I have to get up, you know, feed Riley, bring her to wherever she's going for the day. And I have a whole process that I have to do before I can actually even focus on myself. Um, so, you know, that's changed weekends I where I don't have any childcare. I, I can't, so I can't go join the group runs or anything like that. Um, I have to do my long runs during the week when she's in childcare. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's changes like that. Um, but I'm still, you know, I still have the flexibility to be able to work around that and, um, be able to kind of make my own schedule. So, and I also, you know, days that I, I have her, I just throw her in. I, she doesn't, she does well in a, in the stroller for, I have one of the, a real nice Thule running stroller. So she does well on that for probably six miles, but beyond that, <laughs> it's not, it's not even worth trying. Um, so, you know, I try just, when I write my training plan, I kind of work in the days that I have her, I'll just do that or else I'll go on the treadmill and that's tough too, but I try to do that like during a nap or else, you know, if I can get her to play down in the basement for a little bit and get on the treadmill. Um, so I think that that's just been the biggest change, just kind of working my schedule around having a baby, not just, mm. it's not just me anymore. Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds to me like you, 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 you need, you need to be, um, more intentional about your, your, your running. Oh um, yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, from a, you know, from, and also from a planning standpoint, I mean, I think, I think every runner can, can benefit from being more intentional about, about running specifically with respect to planning. Uh, but it sounds to me like, um, uh, you know, the challenges of, of, of being a single mom of a, of a, of a, of a little one, um, and, you know, a, a competitive distance runner, um, you just have to, you have to do it with more purpose, uh, and, uh, and, and, and you have to follow a schedule before, um, 
and and I want to talk a, a little bit more about this 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 current um, uh, this soft tissue thing that you're dealing with. But um, before um, uh, before you had to take some time off to let let the Achilles thing quiet down, um, what did what's a typical week look like for you uh, from a, from a running standpoint, how many days a week are you running? What kinds of runs are you doing? And, and I mean, let's say specifically um, when you're not training for something, what is, what does a maintenance level of running look like for you, Amanda, now, uh, now that you're a single mom? Well, I, so after I ran the marathon in, in April, um, I planned to take a couple months, just do maintenance. And I ran a, um, some 5Ks and 10Ks and, and PR'd those distances as well. Um, but those were just doing, you know, 40 mile weeks um, and nothing crazy. I mean, I did try to keep up the long runs, but my long runs weren't 20 miles. They were, you know, 10 or 11. Um, but I was running and I would, I would take a day off. Um, but I, I was consistently no lower than 40 miles a week. Um, and I felt everything was great. Um, and then I got back into training. I was going to run the Philadelphia marathon. And so I got back into training, ramp, slowly ramped up and was running, you know, doing, I, I never went more than 75 mile weeks. Um, but I was running consistent 75 mile weeks with a, with a down week every couple of weeks. Um, and getting back up to those long runs and the, the real training. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I have this reoccurring Achilles problem pop up. So after I ran that PR half, um, I, that would just put me over the edge and I wasn't able to, uh, run Philly. Mm. Why, um, yeah. What, and, and what, why do you think, why do you think the Achilles tendonitis or the Achilles issue? Why, why do you think that reared its ugly head again? Uh, you know, I don't know. And it's so frustrating. Um, I've been going to PT for it and he thinks that it's just, you know, some people are, are prone to different injuries. Um, and I don't know, it, it could be my body mechanics. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but for some reason, since 2000, I got a, a slight tear in it during at mile 22 of Bay state in 2012, I think. Um, and ever since then, it's just, I mean, it had bothered me before that, but ever since it just pops up every once in a while and it's the speed. Um, you know, I'm very, I'm very careful now to not increase speed or distance too much. Um, so I, I feel like I do all the right things. Um, I think it's just going to be something that I always have to deal with, unfortunately. Um, and I, I really try when I'm training to be very cognizant of it. And I've gotten to know my body really well, so I can feel it when it's coming on. And I think the mistake that I made was um, when I was training for Philly, you know, I popped in that half marathon four weeks before and ran that hard. And it just, I think that speed just put it over the edge. Um, and then I just continued, you know, I, I took a few days off, but I really tried to continue and keep it up so that I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't doing 75 mile weeks or speed. Um, but I was still trying to run so that I could possibly still run Philly and it just, it didn't happen. And I mm. think that probably made it worse. So, um, like I said, now it's been eight weeks and, uh, I think this is probably the longest that it's put me out of commission. So I don't know if it's because it's been such a long injury um, and now it's harder to heal or something, but. Yeah. Do, and do you have, do you have a tendency to attempt to run or train through pain or is, or is pain for you a pretty good indicator that you need to, you need to do something different dramatically yeah. and, and quickly? 
Yeah, I've definitely gotten a lot smarter about that. Um, I don't, I used to try to run through it, um, you know, in my earlier running days, but I don't anymore. And I know, especially with the Achilles, the Achilles injury is a tough one and you don't want to rupture it. Um, so I typically don't, I don't run through pain. I mean, when it was uncomfortable, I was trying to run through it with just the goal of, of Philly. And I was like, okay, after Philly, I can just take the time off. Um, but even now, you know, I'm, I'm registered for Boston again, and my official training should start next Monday, but I'm not gonna, I mean, there's no, there's no sense, you know, there's no, for me, I think that I've run enough and run enough races, done enough Boston's done enough that it's not worth running through the pain and it's only going to make it worse. So no, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, at some point, um, uh, it's important for us to sort of look ahead in terms of longevity and sustainability. Right. Um, I, I would imagine ultimately you want to run for as long as you can possibly run. Um, and, uh, you know, although it is common for us when we're younger to, uh, to sacrifice long-term sustainability for some short-term outcome. But I do think as we, as we get older and, 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 and clearly when there've been instances in which we can't do, what we want to do the way we want to do it, we begin to, we begin to appreciate the sport and activity a lot more and maybe, uh, maybe are, 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 are more cautious and, and, uh, and, and more careful and, and, and more thoughtful, um, in, you know, in terms of the impact of some of our decisions, uh, as it relates to the Achilles tendonitis, do you, um, are, are you using anything like a, like a dorsal night splint or any kind of, uh, any kind of splint, um, uh, that, that, for instance, that you might wear in the overnight hours in order to help sort of facilitate or accelerate the recovery? Well, I used to have one of those Strasburg socks and right. it just drove me crazy. I couldn't, I would tear it off in the middle of the night. Um, I, you know, I do a lot of, um, I do the stretches and exercises that I'm supposed to. I've been going to PT for Graston and dry needling. Um, I just started going for laser therapy. So I'm doing all kinds of stuff that, hopefully help. Um, I think as you know, you, I'm sure you know more about it than I do, but, um, the Achilles is just such a hard, uh, thing to heal because you, it's not like you can just rest it. You know, if your if your thumb is broken, you don't have to use it, but you walk every day. So the Achilles is just such a, and there's no blood flow to it. So it's just so hard to heal it. Um, and honestly, my, like my physical therapist is just baffled as to why it's still not because I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm running every once in a while and trying to get through. I'm not, I'm not, there was a, a week, a couple of weeks ago that I thought, okay, well maybe it's not getting better because I'm not using it. So if I just go for some walks and get it a little bit looser, it will help. And, you know, after a couple of days, I was just making it worse. So I stopped that. Um, so I feel like I'm doing everything right. And, and just, I guess it's just going to take time and, and patience, which isn't my strong suit, but I'm working <laughs> on it. Well, and it's always the case too, that, um, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, as we get older, um, these soft tissue things just sometimes take a little bit longer to, uh, to, to resolve. Yeah. Um, so what, so, you know, now that you're, you know, you're, 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 you're not running, um, uh, purposefully, um, and you've been, you've been cautious about the walking, w w what are you doing from a physical activity standpoint to sort of, to scratch the itch, uh, from not only a physical standpoint and a physical health yeah. standpoint, but also for, from a mental health standpoint, what are, what, what times, what sort of active things are you able to do and, and are you doing now? Not much. <laughs> I mean, I keep very active, obviously, with an 18 month old. Um, but I really, you know, I don't, I should, right? I, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of not feeling too 
motivated right now because I mean, it's, it's, you know, and it, right now it's at a tough age too with the sleep and everything. So most days I'm just exhausted. Um, but I should put my bike on the trainer or do something, but I just haven't yet. Um, I do every morning. I, I have a whole routine that I go through, you know, with doing band work and all that stuff. Um, so I am, I do get that and do some weights here and there. Um, but as far as anything cardio, I'm really, really not doing anything other than lugging around a 25 pound weight, uh, when, when she's home. <laughs> what, uh, uh, what, what about Buddy? Uh, how, how does Buddy, how does Buddy get his, uh, his wiggles he's, out? If, uh, he's, if, uh, he's, I've been bringing him back to daycare a couple of days. Well, he went yesterday, so he's, he's sleeping right now. You might've heard him snoring a minute ago. It was very loud. Um, but he's, and he's definitely feeling it, you know, cause he's used to running with me um, even, I think you and I talked a while ago cause I was running him a lot and I felt like it was too much. So I scaled back, but he was still used to being out, you know, at least, you know, two or three miles or whatever every day. So I think going from that to nothing, he's definitely feeling that. Um, but he's, he's been handling it. Um, I still take him, I have trails on my property, so I'll take him just, just for like, just out, let him run around a little bit here and there. Um, but bring him to daycare once in a while and he can go get his energy out with the other dogs. <laughs> and black and, and black labs are really, really good at that. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so last question about the, uh, about the Achilles issue. Um, uh, I mean, we, we sort of talk about the, or we can, it's easy to talk about the, um, you know, the physical impact that these, uh, injuries have on us as we, uh, need to significantly cut back on on our activity pattern, uh, and we feel that. Um, but there's also the sort of the, the mental component, the psychological component oh, yeah. of not yeah. being able to do uh, something that you love to do the way you the way you want to do it. Um, yeah. uh, how do you deal with that? How, how do you how do you work through that? I, I think that, um, like I said, experience is really is helping me because, uh, you know, years ago, I might have been really depressed about it. Um, now I'm just like, you know what, I've been through this before. I know it will get resolved eventually, um, or I hope it will get resolved eventually. I'll do everything I can. Um, so I've actually been okay. Um, I think that for us as runners, uh, uh, another hard thing is just body composition. You know, you get used to being thin and fit and, and all that. And, you know, that's always something. I mean, when I was younger, I wasn't, I, I wasn't real thin. And um, I mean, I wasn't considered overweight, but I definitely wasn't like I am now. And so it's always been something that's, that's in my head. Um, but I think now, I mean, I, I, tr I try to eat healthy and um, don't drink alcohol and all that stuff. So I haven't gained any weight since I've stopped running. So I think that's helped me too, because that would definitely, if I was gaining weight, it would be really hard for me. Um, so I, I don't know if that will, if my running is just carrying me over and because <laughs> I still eat the same, like I was running, but I guess just eating healthy helps. Mm. Um, so I think that that helps for a mental aspect of it. Um, I also keep really busy, so I, I don't really have the downtime to, I mean, right now I'm thinking, how do I even fit in this running, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. Uh, that's very true. Um, well, well, you know, while, while clearly, um, your, you know, your, your day-to-day -day schedule is, is super busy. Um, and, uh, you know, you've, you've always got something going on. Uh, I'm sure in, in the quiet moments, um, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's easy to kind of look forward, 
um, and uh, sort of begin to wonder, um, yeah. you know, what what might my running look like, you know, a year from now, five years from now, ten years ten years from now. Uh, do, do you ever do you ever allow yourself to sort of you know, as you're dealing with this with this Achilles issue, do you ever allow yourself to sort of think ahead and 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 wonder, you know, am I going to be able to work through this? And if not, like what? Yeah. Uh, how how am I going to scratch the itch from a from a physical activity or a, or a racing standpoint? Yeah, well, so I a couple of things on that. Um, I really I try I try to keep my focus kind of or I, or not try, but my focus has been kept kind of short because, like I said, I'm registered for Boston. So in my head up till this point, I've just been like, okay, I just want to be able to start my training plan by the 23rd. And then as I get closer to that, I start thinking, I'm, there's no way I'm going to be able to do jump into you know doing 70 miles next week when I haven't run for eight weeks. Um, so then I start thinking, okay, well maybe if I can run by February something, I can just even ramp up and maybe run a decent marathon in Boston. So I think that just by keeping it, it short focus, that helps me. Um, now I'm to the point where I'm like, you know what, I might not be able to run it. Um, because I think as you mentioned earlier in the show, you know, you get to a point where it's like, you're not running a marathon just to, I mean, it, it's like, I've been there, done that. I've run so many marathons. I don't want to just go run Boston for like a mediocre performance. Like I want to run it and PR and, or, you know, not even PR, but I want to feel good about it. Um, so for me, there's no point in running it if I'm not going to do well. Um, so then I start thinking, okay, well, if this doesn't, you know, if I can't run for a while, um, and maybe I can at least walk because I know that, you know, just being outside, getting fresh air, get moving, walking definitely helps. Um, I always used to, you know, I hiked all the 4,000 footers in New Hampshire years ago. Um, so I love hiking. And, you know, if I can just do that kind of stuff that isn't so much impact on my Achilles, then I'd probably be okay with that. Um, I don't know. I haven't passed that. I haven't really thought about that, about yeah. it that much. Yeah. And um, would, would you, would you be satisfied if it turned out that you were able to return back to running, but rather than running, you know, six days a week, um, maybe three days a week, uh, you know, was, was your sort of, was your limit before, before the Achilles thing became, became an issue again, you know, I mean, these are all hypotheticals, but, but would you be okay, um, mentally with being able to return to running, but in a, but in a, in a little bit more limited or scaled back yeah. fashion? I mean, I, I guess I look at it like it is what it is. If you're doing everything that you can and it's just not possible, then there's, you know, I'm not going to, you can't really be upset about it because there's no point in, I mean, if, if it's something that I can't control, there's no point in living my life upset about it. Right. I mean, there's, it, it just doesn't even make sense. So I'll take what I can get, you know, if I have to scale it back and only run a little bit, then at least I can run a little bit. I'd rather do that, you know, and, and even back to trail running, I'd rather, if I can only run slow, you know, I'd rather run on trails and, and just be out there running, um, than not running at all. So mm. I guess, you know, I'll take what I can get and, and be okay with it. And again, I think that that mindset comes from being older and experienced also, because I probably wouldn't feel that way if I was in my twenties. Um, but it, you know, it's, it, it, as your body gets older and things like you said, are harder to heal. Um, you know, you take what you can get. Even last year when I couldn't run Philly, I wasn't super upset about it because I said, look at the season I've had. I PR'd marathon, half, 5K, 10K, won all of four of those races. Um, 
you know, I can't be upset about not being able to run a race when I've, I just try to keep a very positive outlook about it. Yeah. Um, well, for sure, <clears throat> as we get older, um, well, uh, ideally, as we get older, uh, uh, we mature emotionally as well. Not everybody necessarily does that, but that, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's ideal. Um, well, uh, I want to finish with this uh, today, Amanda. I want to do uh, I want to do a, a segment of the show I like to call three random questions. Okay. Um, now, I, I, I did provide you some uh, some sample questions um, in uh, in our sort of uh, pre-show interactions, um, but if you would confirm for the listener, you have not received the next three questions I'm about to ask you. Correct? Well, I'm a little nervous, but no, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing to be nervous about. Um, I'm not. <laughs> all right. So this is a this. Fun part of the show for me um, gives me an opportunity to see my guest think on their feet, right? See how okay. see how nimble you are um, with regard to the responses to these questions. Okay, here we go. Uh, three random questions with Amanda Richmond. Amanda, uh, first random question is this: Who is the person or persons that have had the greatest impact on your life? Oh wow. Um. You know, I, there's been a, a different people at different stages that have, um, but I would probably say my mom. I mean, she's just, she's been my biggest supporter, biggest fan since day one. You know, I went through some tough times in when I was a teenager um, and she always, uh, you know, is like the true definition of unconditional love. She was always there for me, always stood behind me. You know, she's gone to every single race that she can. She's flown to, um, Washington DC to see me run a marathon there. She's, she's gone everywhere that she can. Um, you know, now with my daughter, I mean, she's amazing. She takes care of her a couple of days a week. She's, she's always there if I need her. So, um, I would definitely say that she would be the first person that, that I would say. Mm. Um, is she a runner or was she a runner? No. No, um, she's very active. And, you know, at 70 years old, she's, uh, she'll still go out and go hiking and, um, she's always got Riley out doing, you know, they were building a snowman in the yard the other day, sledding. I mean, she's very, she keeps very active. She plays pickleball three times a week. Um, so she's, she's, she's active. Um, but no, not a runner. She's a walker. Um, and I actually, one year got her to walk the Seacoast half marathon when I was running it and she absolutely hated it. She hated <laughs> training for it. She hated walking that far, <laughs> but she did it. <laughs> oh, that, that was probably the last brilliant idea that she allowed you to talk her into. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Second random question. Um, do you have any irrational fears or superstitions? Oh, my God. That could be a whole show, Chris. Um, <laughs> Little did I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I have a friend who and I who always talk about negative intrusive thoughts. Um, <laughs> like, you know, when you're doing so, if, if you're driving your car and I don't really do this, but this is an example, you know, if you're driving your car and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, what would happen if I just drove off that cliff? You know I mean? Just those kind of thoughts. So especially now that I've got Riley, um, you know, my whole, I, we were going to, um, I had rented a place in North because I work from home. I had rented a place for my mom and Riley and I to go to in North Carolina for, uh, the month of February in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. 
and not, you know, not really thinking about researching the area or anything, uh, paid for it. It was all set to go. Well, in December, I started thinking, you know, I wonder what the area is like. Well, I started researching it and the crime rate in Atlantic Beach is 244% higher than the national average. You have a one in 13 chance of being a victim of a violent crime, one in six chance of being a victim of a uh, property crime. So I lost money, but I, I canceled it because my, you know, my whole life now is, is my daughter. And so my, I guess I, I constantly have irrational fear that something's going to happen to her. And it's just like my whole being now is just doing everything that I can to protect her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then, I don't yeah. know if that's really, it's probably not an irrational fear because I think every mom probably feels that way. Oh um, yeah, agree. But yeah, I mean, every situation I'm kind of thinking, you know, oh my God, what if something, ha this happens or this happens? And yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think, <laughs> probably I think gets I think irrational. Really, I think that's quite, quite, well, probably quite rational and almost certainly the definition uh, of, of being a mom. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> all right, last, uh, last random question. Let's finish with yes. this. Um, this actually is one of my, one of my favorite questions to ask, uh, to ask a runner. So <clears throat> here's the question. <clears throat> uh, you're hosting a group run. And you can invite three VIPs. Okay. Now, assume that any VIP that you would invite is a runner. Okay. Whether whether you know it to be true or not. Now, these <clears throat> these guests may be known to you, or they could be people that you know of but have never met. They can be real, uh, or they can be fictional, like a cartoon character or or a movie character. Now, they can be from the present or at any time in the past or future. They can even be you from the past or you from the future joining this group run. So besides me, who I'm just going to assume I have a I have a standing invitation to any group Absolutely. run, beside me, <laughs> uh, who are your three special guests? Oh, wow. <clears throat> huh. That is... So actually, here's here's one, um, and there's a reason. Uh, Will Farrell, because the year that I, the first year I ran Boston, he ran the Boston Marathon, and I a cannot picture him as a runner. Can't even imagine him being a runner. But I think I all I could think after I found out he ran it that year was he would have been hilarious to run with the whole time. You know, <laughs> agree. So it's one of my spots. Um, I think. I would, oh, Steve Prefontaine. I mean, who wouldn't want to run with him, right? Pre, he definitely has a spot. Um, and gosh, I don't know. I mean, maybe myself in the past or the present, I wouldn't have thought of that until you said it. But, you know, if it was, it was in the future, I can see what I was going to be like as a runner. And hopefully it wouldn't be like, me looking at myself sitting on a couch. Um, and if it was in the past, you know, I could show myself how far I had come. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like it's an interesting uh, question to ponder, particularly the, <clears throat> the idea of, uh, of, of having your either past self or future self, right, join yeah. 
uh, join in 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 the in the group run. Um, well, I, if I had more time to think about it, my answer might be different. But just on the spot, there's there's three for you. I love it. Um, <clears throat> well, interestingly enough, um, I recently had uh, another guest on the show who's actually someone you know. Uh, I won't mention the name because uh, uh, you'll you'll see it. In fact, his his episode uh, will be released maybe the week before your episode. Um, I asked him the exact same question. Uh, and one of his VIPs was also Steve Prefontaine. So that's oh, interesting. Really? The two of you are friends uh, and uh, you uh, are inviting the uh, one of the same three VIPs. Right. Um, well, like well, I said, who wouldn't want him, right? Well, it, I mean, as a runner, there probably can't be any more iconic uh, yeah. uh, iconic choice than, than Pre. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you, Chris. This was great. Amanda's focus on being as healthy as possible during her pregnancy by exercising regularly and eating well almost certainly were important factors in, in her ability to get back to running safely and effectively. Clearly, the running-specific success she's had since Riley was born are also a big bonus. Well, once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe buttons to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.